Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Through Their Eyes, our special series featuring Utah teenagers discussing current events on Utah's Morning News with Tim and Amanda. It's such a pleasure to sit down with the three teenagers from the state of Utah and ask them, how do you understand the issues of the day? And I get a chance to gain from their wisdom and and sort of peek inside their uh, understanding. And this week, I am delighted to welcome to the program John Brigham and Shannon are here. Hello, hello to the three of you. Um, I, I want to start with, well, you know what, let's start with the, the more difficult topics, and then we'll end with something lighter. Does that sound like a plan? Fantastic. Um, this week we had, and when I saw the second one, I thought, wow, okay, w- mass shootings in general are difficult and difficult to discuss in any context. Uh, when they happen at a church, they are incredibly difficult. When they happen at a school, they are so difficult. When they happen at a Navy base, they are difficult. We had two at two different Navy bases within a week's time. And I don't know, that just struck me. I thought they're happening now on the bases where men and women are training to protect us. Something about that, Shannon, just made me pause. And I wondered what came to your mind when you saw this particular act of terrorism on our own soil. What, what did you think? Well, of course, it was a terrible incident that happened. And your sympathies automatically go out to them because they are sacrificing their lives to protect us. But we have to realize that we live in an evil world with evil people who do evil things. And of course, we should be taking precautions to stop instances like that. However, the fact is that we never knew that those incidents were going to happen. And those incidents were evil people who had evil intentions to hurt other people. And so, of course, my first initial reaction is it's horrible. This should not be happening to the people who are serving and sacrificing their lives for us. But on the same hand, it's we have to ask ourselves, what are we now going to do about it? And as you say that, of course, it shouldn't be happening to them. It shouldn't be happening to anyone. But uh, yes, bring them. Yeah. <laughs> My my initial reaction was really just shock because, like, you hear about mass shootings all the time. They happen. They're kind of a really unfortunate reality we have to face. But I don't think I'd ever even considered them happening at a Navy base. Like, I just hadn't thought of that. And I realized that that is... <laughs> that's, that's... I mean, it's just... It's very plausible. I mean, you have a lot of people, a lot of a lot of firearms and a lot of people trained to use them. And so, I mean, things could happen, but it really, it just really shocked me to know that that's something that can happen at 
in our military. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess and the first one, the first of the two, happening at Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. right before John, right before this, the honoring of the anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Even without the second one at Pensacola, that one touched my heart. Please, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was just such a tragedy, um, and. And for me, if if these mass shootings can happen at Navy bases, which I would think would be some of the most high security um, places within the entire United States, where else are they going to start happening um, from this point forward? So it, it was just scary for me, honestly. Like, if if shootings can happen at Navy bases, then where's it going to go from here? Mm-hmm. Can I go from this discussion to um, Mayor Bloomberg's ideas about gun restrictions? Um, and and just get your feel for what he's proposed. This is Mayor, former Mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg, now a, a candidate for president in the Democratic Party. And he was, after he was mayor, he became very active in um, in gun rights issues, not gun rights issues, in gun restriction issues. Um, I guess I'll start with you, Brigham. What what? What were your thoughts about some of the things that he's proposed? Um, you know, so I, I went and I, I read the stuff on his website about that um, and his whole take. And my initial reaction was I was really happy that someone was taking it very seriously, that they were trying to do something. He's really made it kind of the center of his campaign. Um, and one of the, the lines he said is that his 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 goal is to pursue – zero gun violence in America. And that is something that I really, really would love to have. But I think it's interesting because, and especially coinciding with these shootings at naval bases, we have people, our army, our our history is based around the idea of giving your life for things. Um, and one of those things that many people have given their lives for is the right to bear a, a weapon, to have a gun. And so I know that these shootings are terrible, and I don't want innocent people to ever have to face this. But I also think that it is not, it's not right to go to any lengths to reach that, because this is something that every American should be willing to give their life for this right, this right that we were given, that we have in our Bill of Rights, it's in our Constitution. Many people have died to give us the right to have a gun. Um, and that is something that I don't think we should get rid of. Hmm. What, what do you say, John? Um, well, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with Brigham um, in that I want zero gun violence too. When I was looking over Mayor Bloomberg's plan, however, I didn't see that it would be accomplishing things in the way that I would want to see them accomplished. Um, I actually found a statistic from the Crime Re- Prevention Research Center that only a little more than 1% of public mass public shootings since 1950 have occurred in places that were not considered to be a gun-free zone. Um, so I think I think we really need to be founded upon this idea that it's the person pulling the trigger and not the trigger itself that is the problem in these cases. And anything that's going to infringe upon Second Amendment rights is a problem for me. And 
there were some things in Mayor Bloomberg's plan that I frankly was concerned about. Um, but uh, but again, these are innocent children whose lives are being taken away. These are our friends and neighbors um, who are who are losing their children, and we can't stand for this in America anymore. Mm-hmm. So we need to be working on this problem. And I was encouraged that he's he's focusing on this issue. Mm-hmm. What do you say, Shannon? I think Mayor or former Mayor Bloomberg had a lot of good provisions in his plan. Um, he basically wanted to reinstate and reinforce existing federal laws um, on our guns, and I think that's a great policy plan. However, there was one provision that I did raise issue with, and that was banning um, the carrying of arms on universities, colleges, and K-12 um, education. And so we do have to go back to our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And so while federal laws such as if you are mentally unstable, you cannot get a gun, you have to be at least 21, those, I believe, do not restrict our Second Amendment right. However, telling someone where they can or cannot carry their concealed weapon, who they have, which they have legally, I think that does inhibit our Second Amendment right. Mm. So while Bloomberg is going in a great direction, like Brigham and John have both said, having that goal of, you know, 100% you know, no gun violence in America, that is wonderful. However, that is only a reality in an ideal world. And we do not live in an ideal world because, like I said earlier, we have evil people who do evil things. You, The three of you have grown up with mass shootings being a part of your reality. They've happened since you've been alive. Um, and gun violence is just a part of our culture. Do you ever think that it's possible that it could not be a part of our culture, that something could change to have us be a different sort of culture where gun violence was not something you saw in the news every other day or week, John, or is that just a fairy tale? The fact is um, we're not going to be there anytime soon. But we also we can't give up hope or else we lose hope for our entire society. And so I'm I'm unwilling to give up that hope. I think that eventually we can achieve that goal of zero gun violence. Um, But we're all going to need we're going to need to cross partisan lines and work together to find an issue for the American people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do, am, I, am I being too uh, Pollyanna in asking the question, do you think, Shannon? No, I would, I would definitely agree with John on a lot of those things. We have to, you know, stop being so divided. And the fact is that we've been divided for the entirety of history. It's not this newfound idea. Sure. However, I do think the media blasts it a lot more nowadays. And so it seems like we're more divided and people do get a more passionate and angry about their opinions and yes. forcing it on others. But with that said... Um, I think we have a lot of mental illness in our country. Mm-hmm. It is a huge issue, and it's profound more than we've ever seen it in previous decades and centuries. And so I think something about the mental illness definitely has to be addressed in our country and our culture and how we, how unhealthy we are as a culture. Boy, we so could I talk about that for start. an hour, couldn't we? Yes, we could. Um, Brigham, what do you think about that? Is it a Pollyanna question to say, do you think you'll, do you think you'll ever live in a time when gun violence is not as prevalent as it is today? Yeah, when I saw that claim on his platform, I I have to admit, like, my first reaction was, this is just another promise that's not going to be met. Mm-hmm. Because I really, I don't, there's no country today that has completely eliminated gun violence. Some have gotten closer than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but many of the ones that have gotten closer than others have gone to very extreme lengths to do so. Um, lengths that I don't know if the American people want to go to. 
Um, you have places like Australia mm-hmm. that have mandatory buyback on a lot of almost all weapons. And I don't think that's something that America upholds because we value our rights so much. But again, I agree. I, I think we can't lose hope. But I think the place to start is more in just society, with our media, with how we view the world and how we treat each other. Um, I think that's the strongest way to make change. Um, and I think it'll do more good than any campaign or federal statute. You three give me hope uh, for the future. All right. I want to I move to... Um a topic that came up because of a bill that was introduced this week um, by uh, our Congressman Chris Stewart. That is sort of, uh, I think it's um, mirrors a a Utah law in some ways. Uh, It's called the Fairness for All Act, I believe. And its goal is to uh, respect both the rights of LGBTQ people and to respect religious rights, to have those two groups and people who are focusing on those rights not be at odds with each other and to have it not be a zero-sum game, but to have both of those rights be respected. Um, do, you, do you think that's uh, a, a worthy goal possible? What's your take on that, John? One hundred percent. I think that's a worthy goal. Um, I think that Utah, we're also ahead of the curve. We've already passed passed a law that's very similar to what's being considered, um, you know, in, in the national legislative branch. Um, but but the fact is, as far as I'm concerned, it's already guaranteed in the Fourteenth Amendment that everyone should treat each other with kindness, and that we should all be fair. That you shouldn't be discriminated against. So I think when we're passing laws that are already doing what the Constitution is saying, then we're kind of devaluing the Constitution itself. Um, no, don't get me wrong. We shouldn't be discriminatory towards anyone, re- regardless of uh, it's whether or not it's LGBTQ or religious people. Um, but but the fact is the Constitution already guarantees equal rights for all people. Um, and no matter what, we shouldn't be discriminating, no matter who it is. Interesting. Shannon? Yes, I for the question specifically, I do think that these two ideas of LGBT community and the religious community can, you know, exist together. I think that with today, as I've already previously mentioned, the division that we are seeing um, that is fueled by the media in large parts. However, I think with that narrative also comes the narrative that we can only have either or and not both. And with the LGBT community and religious institutions, we can uphold the rights for both communities. And we don't have to push our agendas and our biases and opinions on others and have it only be a black and white issue. We can listen. Yes, we can listen to each other and compromise. And I think that's a thing that we're not really seeing in our politics today is a lot of compromise and trying to work with both parties. I mean, George Washington in his farewell address warned against um, parties for the very reason of division that we are seeing today. And he wanted us to work together because that is how we basically came to the founding of America was different people who were being hurt on by the British government coming together for a unified purpose. And the unified purpose that we have to see here is upholding, you know, as John was saying, rights for all and not discriminating others. Bring mm-hmm. right Yeah. Um, I love the idea of this this legislation. I, for one, I don't, I don't think I'm, you know, qualified to really make a say on whether or not it's a good, uh, you know, 
way to actually follow through with that idea. But the idea of sharing um, between religious freedom and and not discriminating against this this uprising community, um, I think is really important. I think there are two two really interesting things. Um, I saw it like particularly in this this legislation the fact that it 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 reserved the right uh, or protected the right of people to even believe that LGBTQ is is a sin that it's wrong. It it let religions still believe that. And I think that is a really good illustration of, a, of America's respect for people's beliefs. While on the other hand, when it comes to how you treat LGBTQ people, it, it's trying to make it so that we still treat them like humans, which I think is... In the is, workplace, to, yeah. to ensure their fair treatment in the workplace. Mm-hmm. It's, that's the ultimate, the ultimate thing we need to focus on, is that you can believe what you want to believe, but when it comes to how you act... You should be required to treat people like they're humans. Mm. Please. Exactly. And I think that's an important thing because a lot of people think that we're asking others to automatically agree with something they do not agree with. We're not with the Fairness for All Act, for example. They're not asking LGBT community to agree with the religious community. They're not asking the religious community to agree with the LGBTQ community. But rather, they're asking them, as Brigham was saying, to just treat others respectfully. And part of that respect is you don't have to agree with them, but you still have to love them in your actions. Any other thoughts on that topic? Beautiful. I want to ask you your response to the Peloton Peloton ad. Uh, (laughs) Hold on. We'll do that in just a second. My guest this week on Through Their Eyes, John is here with Brigham and Shannon. And so much hoopla this week over the ad for a stationary bicycle. Can you help me? Okay, Shannon, I don't know whether we'll have a different perspective on this because we are women or not. But when we first brought it up on Utah's Morning News, I I received so many texts at KSL from people. Most of them said something like this. What in the world? It's an ad. Stop. And then when I found out that the actor who played the husband who I think said one sentence, if that, in the ad, was receiving hate mail from all over the world. I thought, people, we, we just really have... I should stop sharing my opinion because I'm here to get your opinions. This is the ad. For people who don't know, this was an ad of a husband and wife. It's at Christmas time. And the husband, I think, has purchased a Peloton stationary bicycle for his wife uh, for Christmas. And many people took offense to that as if he were imposing that on her in some critical fashion. Like, you need to get off your tush and do some exercise. That, I think, was the implication of the ad, although I, for one, did not take it that way. But I want to know what you think, Shannon. What did you think? Well, like you're saying, it was basically a husband gifting his wife a gift for Christmas. I did not know that was inherently sexist or fat-shaming. However, when I saw this ad, the wife was genuinely happy to be getting the Peloton bike because in the ad description, as I was researching it, it said that she wanted that bike for Christmas. Um, And the husband got her that gift. I mean, there are so many couples where the husband doesn't even lift a finger to get his wife anything. Or even know what she wants. Exactly. And he's actually listening to his wife and what his wife wants. And I thought it was wonderful. And she actually was happy. She was smiling throughout the ad. 
and just going through her quote unquote fitness journey, even though she's pretty much looked great in the first place, but it still that doesn't mean health exactly. might have nothing to do with losing weight. Yeah. And so I don't think, I mean, the two main claims against this ad was that it was sexist and that it was fat shaming. But I think we need to get around the narrative that being into fitness is inherently fat shaming. It's not. Being into fitness is trying to do the best by your body and even for your mental health. There are plenty of studies that show that fitness dramatically improves your mental health. And so this Peloton ad, it's, I think it's quite frankly disgusting that people would push their agendas on something like this and would send hate mail to the actor for just doing his line in an ad that had no intention or hidden meaning to it at all. So I think that's quite disgusting. And that's something we're seeing across the board, not just in stationary bike ads. Speak to me, Brigham. <laughs> you know, I watched that ad and I, I, I genuinely started laughing afterwards just because of some of the comments that are in the comments section. Um, the thing is, I think it's really ironic that the whole online community they push this agenda where they they require you to give females a presence, you know, and I respect that. Like, I don't feel like we should push them down or anything. Um, but they're like, if they had done an ad which didn't have the wife in it, they you could very well have seen someone who'd been like, hey, you need to be, have women represented in this ad. You know, it's just the idea that no matter what they do, they're going to find some way to make it sound sexist. And I mean, to be fair, there was, I, I wouldn't say the best acting on the, the part of the, <laughs> the wife or the husband. Um, the wife kind of looked worried throughout it all. Um, <laughs> but there have been worse actors <laughs> in ads. Plenty. Um Really, I don't think it's smart to assume that this company would make an ad that's purposely sexist. They're trying to sell their product to people buying presents for Christmas. It wouldn't make sense to connect that with a bad present or something that's not not positive in any way. Right. And they're selling their ad to a fitness-oriented consumer. I would think – what was your thought, John? Well, I mean, now I have an example of what not to get my wife for Christmas. <laughs> I, I, please don't think that uh, yeah. as, as a wife, but go ahead. <laughs> and, and honestly, for me, it's just like our society, we're just looking for stuff we can get mad about. And and while we're concerned about this this ad, we're losing valuable dis- discussion about important policy issues like, like the mm. impeachment proceedings and so many other more important things that are going on in the news. And we're not even noticing that because we're so concerned about this 30-second ad. And so I think our society needs to start focusing on the important issues today instead of just looking for stuff we can get mad about and fight with each other. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. When I saw the comments and how upset people got, I did think I did have that question. Do we wake up and look for something to get upset about? I, I think honestly we do. <laughs> In today's social media oriented society, it's it's getting really dangerous, frankly. All right. Uh, I'm going to... St- I'm going to go from that topic to another topic that might be equally not worthy of your time. Um, And this is, uh, although I think there is something to this topic, this has to do with the family that owns the drug company that makes OxyContin. Uh, The family, this is the Sackler family. And the drug company that they own, which has made a number of other drugs too, it's a, uh, a, a large company, um, but when they started making OxyContin, of course, they became a 
billion, multi-billion dollar company. And the family, the Sackler family, has given hundred. I mean, I don't think it's, I think it's probably the hundreds of millions, to universities, to Harvard and Yale and, and a number of, and also to Tufts University. Well, Tufts University decided to take the Sackler's name off all of their buildings after the opioid epidemic. Feeling like, and this wasn't just the, from the top students at that university, also wanted the name to come off because they thought the family, through their marketing, you know, addicted people and caused pain to people all over the, not just the country, but the world. The Sackler family is mad, it, especially the, the widow of the, the man who created the company who did before, opi- before um, Oxycontin was even made. She said he had nothing to do with this. What? So I just wondered, and I'll start with you, Brigham. Um, does this does this matter at all? I mean, when you go on a college campus and you see a name on a building, does that name matter? Who those people were, the money, the family, that does any of that matter to you? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's interesting because, like. I mean, the particular video that I, I saw was them chiseling off um, Arthur Sackler's name. And he was one who wasn't even associated with um, Oxycontin. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it, the whole idea of having people's names on buildings and that meaning so much. First, these people have paid for that, basically. Mm-hmm. They've donated in return for having this their icon be on campus. Um, and so abusing that doesn't seem fair to me. But also... My name is Brigham. If I ever go to BYU, my name's everywhere. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't want them to associate that with me. And even if I had donated a lot of money to them, um I I don't I don't feel like the name matters so much. A name is just a name. Um and particularly with Arthur Sackler, he did a lot of amazing stuff. Yeah. He was a brilliant man who really revolutionized a whole industry and the result of that has been detrimental in a lot of areas, but he has helped the medical community and at least respect the fact that he has done some good in his life. I can't say whether or not he has done just as much bad, but the whole idea at the root of it is whether or not you politicize or or, or make political everything on that you, you touch in your life. Mm-hmm. The fact this this is education, this is a university, and their focus should be the education that they're giving, not necessarily the statements that are made by the plaques they have. It's It just seems like they're getting lost in these really obscure things they don't need to be focusing on. They shouldn't have such strong and and really almost violent opinions when it comes to they're, they're hurting people's character by trying to have an opinion as a university. Hmm. Hmm. What do you say, John? Well, frankly, I think it's great um, that they're taking the the name off of the buildings. Um, But really what I'd like to see is them giving the money back, Mm -hmm. too. Um, I think at that point, that money is dirty money. And if if they actually meant, if if they were going to put their money where their mouth is, then they would return the money to the Sackler family. 
um, personally, with specifically with Arf- Arthur Sackler, I don't have a problem with his name being on buildings. Um, maybe some other members of the Sackler families, I would have a problem with that. But for me, this really comes down to, is the university just talking the talk, or are they going to walk the walk? Are they going to give that dirty money back um, to the Sackler family? And it didn't. I didn't see any indication that they would do so. So, frankly, I think they should put their money where their mouth is. Mm, interesting, Shannon. Yeah, I think, to an extent, I would have to disagree with Brigham, and I think I would have to agree with John. Um, first and foremost, the opioid crisis we're having across our country, It's our culture is to blame for that. We are seeing addictions across the board, anything from drugs to pornography, and it's an epidemic issue. And so opiates is one of the things that that is manifesting in. So first and foremost, we have to blame our culture, and we have to blame those who are getting addicted. However, those who are producing the drug and advertising them extremely, they do take part in the blame. So with the Sackler family, Arthur Sackler is not to blame for this. And I think Tufts University has to reach out to the family and say, we are not blaming Arthur. We're not blaming your family. What we are blaming is your company who does advertise opiates to an, a crazy amount, mm-hmm. a substantial amount. And push and them when we know that they, they use tactics that mm-hmm. did you know go a long way toward addicting people who shouldn't have been addicted. Yes, and, and that's affecting the people. Mm-hmm. And so I think Tufts University is upholding a great principle here. They're taking a stand against opiates, and they're going to take the name off the buildings, and I think that is totally within their right. However, like John was saying, they did a cop-out here. They said, we're going to take off the name, but we're going to keep the money. Mm. And they did not give specifics. They just said they're going to put it towards educational purposes. And knowing the corruption of many school administrations is probably just going straight to the administration so the president gets more money or some of other administration is getting a pay raise. The point is that John brought up a great point. They need to give the money back as well, because like John said, at that point, it is dirty money. So if they're really going to be saying, we're not going to support this opiate crisis, we're not going to support great advocators for that, then we're also going to give back the money. And they have to do it and not be hypocritical in this sense. Wow. Um, interesting points. Um, I want to ask you about uh, one more uh, uh, issue before I ask you about some holiday questions, if you'd let me. I know it's that time of year when I... I thought it was really interesting that there are discussions in this country about um, paid family leave. Uh, and it compares us to other countries around the world. And I, I have to tell you, it's it's interesting as I watch some of my co-workers uh, here who are of childbearing age and what they go through and they'll talk to me about this, what it's like in some European countries and other places. And I, I, you know, I, I, it's been a long time since I've had children, but I remember back then how, you know, you save up all of your leave, you do the best you can, you, and you, and still it's a challenge. And it's a challenge for me with a good, with good insurance and a good paying job. And parents, my parents were alive back then who were supportive. So I see the challenge that it is. And I wonder, the, the headline of the story that I read that w- was so impactful was, America's parents want paid family leave and affordable child care. Why can't they get it? I wondered if you all had an opinion about what this quest means and whether it's something you think the United States will ever adopt as some other countries have. What, what do you say, Brigham? Um, <clears throat> first, I thought... I really did not like the fact that they were comparing countries um, because when it comes down to it, there are a million factors. Every factor of a citizen's life 
that go into what makes a country what it is. Yes. Um, and so when you isolate one part of the country, like whether or not what type of leave they give, and then you 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 broadcast that, you're trying to draw conclusions about the entire country based on just one of the factors. And I don't I don't like that. I don't think it's fair because. Like some countries may be better at maternity leave than us or may have better options, but at what cost did those come from? And and what else are they lacking in that, that we have? Depending on what you compare, you can get a whole different view on the country as a whole. I think for America, um, I, I don't think that we will ever get to a point where we have um, mandatory maternity leave and things like that. Um, and my my reasoning is because America is is one of the most friendly countries to small businesses, and like that's where we get a lot of our economy. That's where a lot of our people find their prosperity. And the idea of a mandatory maternity leave just really foots the bill to the company. And a lot of people like like when it's a big company, that's easy to do. But when it's a small company, a personal, private company that's that's really just a part of someone's life, you know, like a lot of these small business owners have, in that case, it's not so easy to just give them the bill. It's really asking a lot where I don't think we want to ask a lot because we value our small companies. How do they do it in these other countries then? You know, I, I'm not sure. I do know that in a lot of con- countries, um, they have sacrificed the state of their economy mm-hmm. for hmm. um, a that, lot of the things. That is that what you're going to say, Shia? Yeah, they, they have really high taxes in other countries. I think Brigham is actually hitting on a very important issue here, that while we have to look at other countries for examples and how they do things so we can diversify our thought, we still have to realize that America is not you know, Sweden, for example. Mm-hmm. We are not these other countries. We have a different culture, a different society who lives different standards. But um, at the question that you're asking earlier about, you know, affordable childcare and paid maternity leave, I think this comes from, well, first we have to look at the root issue here. And the root issue is that a lot of Americans today are looking at their futures and we cannot afford our futures. I was recently at a caucus um, planning meeting. And so we had some representatives from the GOP party in Utah come. And they're talking about how the GOP party is seen as a party of old people. And nothing against old people. They bring something important to the plate. However, we're losing younger generations. And so, of course, I started thinking about why is that the case. And I'm looking at my generation, and a lot of us are apathetic towards politics as a whole, and especially the Republican Party. And why is that? Well, that's because we're looking at our futures, and we cannot afford our futures. And so when we can't afford our futures, then we become apathetic. And we look to someone who can brighten our futures. That's why we flock to Democratic candidates like Bernie Sanders. Because while it may not work out in the real world, while it may not you know, make sense technically, he's offering a solution to a very real problem that we are facing. Like paying for college. Exactly, paying for college. Right now, we're looking at $100,000 average for a college degree a four-year. Hmm. And that is more than we'll make in that four years. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting into tremendous amounts of debt. And we have no idea how we're looking to go bankrupt just to get out of the debt that we're going to be getting mm-hmm. into. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, Bernie Sanders offering, you know, free college, offering free health care, offering paid maternity leave, affordable child care to help solve this issue. 
And so the biggest reason why we're not able to get to the solution for this is, as Brigham brought up, you know, small businesses, for example, are not able to pay for all these benefits for their employees because it would cripple them. And then big corporations, big businesses, they don't want to pay for that because they want to make more profit. Mm -hmm. The problem that we're seeing is is everything's getting to be too expensive. Mm -hmm. Okay, over to you, John. You know, I'll be I'll be quick, um, but I think what this really comes down to is whether we value freedom or free stuff more. And I think America is founded upon the principle of freedom first, and then we do what we can as far as free stuff goes. Um, but I think the biggest problem with paid maternity leave and, and those types of things is that it really does cripple small businesses like Shannon and Brigham were talking about. Um, and so I, I, we need to work on this issue, but... Frankly, I don't. I don't see any solution anytime mm-hmm. soon. Mm-hmm. All right, before the time is gone, I want to take uh, the topic and turn it to the holidays, if you'll indulge me, just for a moment, and ask you about. Um, especially at your age, I think it's fun for us um, to just hear what one of your favorite holiday memories might be. And this can be from last year or 10 years ago or from as, as far back as you can remember. What comes to your mind, if, if you don't mind my asking, Brigham? Ah, yeah. Um, I love Christmas. Christmas is the best. Um, every December, my family gets out our uh, Christmas word search. Um, my dad made it when he was in college. It's humongous. And it usually takes like three years for us to complete. But every year we get it out on December 1st and we, we go through and we try and find words. And I remember the first year that I could really like actually starting. I just really like started learning how to like read and how word searches worked and i had so much fun staying up way late every night just doing this word search and i think that that's my favorite memory now i mean when you say word search what do you mean so it's like you know, it's just like a big grid of letters, and there's words hidden in it. You know, oh, oh, I like see. One of those, yeah. Oh, okay. You know, you see them in like where the you, newspaper, like, and, and you like stuff. circle and you go sideways. And oh, yeah. I see. And you know, like like the ones you usually see are like you know maybe fifteen by fifteen if it's a big one. Oh. Um, but the one the one my dad made is more like like four hundred by a thousand. Oh. It's like it's humongous. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> it's it's awesome. It's wonderful. That's cool. And it's honestly just so fun. One my favorite tradition by far. That's a cool thing your dad does. All right, what about for you, Joe? You know, honestly I'm I'm such a big fan of Christmas. I I can honestly say I've never had a bad Christmas. Um, I just I just love that feeling that we all get when we're all together. Um, I as far as my favorite memory goes, every every Christmas Eve, um, all eight of all eight of us in our family will go downstairs while our, our parents are upstairs doing you know what, um, and then we'll, we'll go to sleep. We'll pretend to go to sleep, and then we'll just be partying, playing games. Um, we'll sneak out and watch movies, stay up all night, do what we can, and it's just so fun. Um, just that feeling of togetherness um but over the past couple of years i've stopped worrying so much about what presents i'm gonna get and i just i just like seeing my older siblings and being together that's honestly the most fun for me so ah the maturity has set in (laughs) (laughs) shannon what about for you um that's if i remember christmas so i think it was like when i love i was 11 and my brother and sister-in-law had just gotten married and it was a very green christmas it was warm we had maybe three inches of snow that melted away the next day. And so for me as an 11-year-old, Christmas needed to have snow or else it wasn't Christmas. 
And so I was hoping beyond hope for snow the next day, and I wake up Christmas Day, and there's a foot and a half of snow outside. It's beautiful. My sister and brother-in-law pull up, and we all open presents together, and we just had a bunch of people over that night. So I think that's the most memorable one I've had. Oh, well, you, you three being here has been just a, a treat for me. Shannon, will you please come back and see me again and do this? I know you're all busy with school. Please come back, Brigham and John. Please come back. You're just brilliant, the three of you, and I enjoy you so much. Happy, uh, happy holidays to all three of you. All right, everybody, this is uh, Through Their Eyes, and we'll be back next week.